0: Let's get into the teaching of the Word today. Uh, We are uh, journeying through this idea of the spirit of jubilee, that as we celebrate the 50th year, and that represents the year of jubilee, the year of God's promise of the restoration of all things, the liberation of all things, and the consolation of all things, right? Freedom and restoration and comfort, the promises of jubilee. That for the Hebrews, they had to wait every 50 years to experience the fullness of it. But because of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, we get to live in the fullness of the Jubilee promises every day. And not only that, but we are now empowered to carry on the Jubilee ministry of Jesus to all those around us. And so we've been exploring the Holy Spirit, the power of the Spirit, intimacy with the Spirit, the outpouring of the Spirit. Last week, we began to dive into the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to continue that discussion today, looking at uh, the key gift that comes from the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and that is praying in the Holy Spirit. So if you've got your notes with you, which you can find in your bulletin, they're attached to this audio podcast, and they're also attached to this video on our website. Here's our big picture point today. Here's what we're going after. Praying in the Holy Spirit, in parentheses, also known as praying in tongues. Praying in the Holy Spirit is a gift that is available to all believers at all times to empower our prayer life and develop our faith in God. Right. This is attached to the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So last week we taught on the baptism, and we talked about that why is speaking in tongues, why is speaking in a strange language uh, the most common sign of the baptism of the Holy Spirit? And it's because it requires a yielding of ourselves, that we have to open our mouths and yield our tongue and allow the Holy Spirit to begin to speak through us uh, in, a, in a supernatural way. Now, the the idea of praying in tongues or praying in the Holy Spirit is an ongoing gift that is available to us from that moment that we've been baptized, from that moment that we've experienced the fullness of the Holy Spirit, it's available to us from that moment going forward. It is God's gift to us, and today we're going to look at the importance of that gift, And we're going to try to break through some of the misunderstandings and why would I babble like that? Why would I do that? Well, there's some very good answers to why we would do that. But as we did last Sunday, let's do it again this Sunday. Let's begin by asking why do we struggle with this? So why do people not believe in praying in tongues? Why do people struggle with the idea of praying in tongues? Why do people not want to engage in it? Why do people distance themselves from it? Well, uh, uh, a lot of the same answers as last week, right? We've had some bad examples. We've seen some weird things. Uh, we don't want to be weird, uh, and, and so we tend to withdraw from it. Maybe we've gone to a church that's taught something different or a church that's ignored it. Uh, so we have all of those answers are still on the table, but let me just get real specific. One is, is that uh, it can be too supernatural for people, right? That is just too outside of the natural. That is just too outside of the norm. Well, I shared this at the end of the service last week, and I had not prepared it. It was just a a prophetic declaration, right, that uh, if we want to see things that are supernatural, they got to look a little different than what's natural. And speaking in tongues and praying in tongues is a little different than what is natural. But for us, we could struggle with that. But we got to understand, this is a supernatural thing. Why else do... uh, People not believe in it or want to practice it? Well, maybe they've been taught that tongues have ceased. And so I want to look at this teaching because... uh, uh I believe it's a false teaching, and I want to share with you why I believe it's a false teaching. So, this teaching comes from 1 Corinthians 13 8, which is known, uh, the, the whole chapter is known as the love chapter, right? It describes love. But when you get to verse 8, it says this love never fails. But if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the person Perfect comes, the partial will be done away with. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. Right? And so there's this declaration from Paul that though we have the gift of prophecy, though we have the gift of tongues, we still only understand in part. We still don't fully get heaven. We still don't fully understand the the, 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 the breadth and the length and the width and the depth of the kingdom of God and all that it means in our life. So when we prophesy, we prophesy in part. When we, uh, when we speak in tongues, we speak in tongues in part. And this verse says... That when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away with. So where churches take this teaching is they say that that which is perfect is the Bible. And so they declare that the moment the Bible that we have today was canonized, that the gifts of the Holy Spirit stopped. That prophecy stopped. That tongues stopped. That all of it stopped. The problem with this is that This word for perfect and this concept of perfection, nowhere else in the entire Bible is it ever applied to the Bible. Right? And so to apply this to the Bible would be to misinterpret this. So what does it mean by that which is perfect has come? Well, what or who in the Bible is referred to as that which is perfect? Christ Jesus. So what he's saying is that when Jesus comes back to establish his eternal kingdom, then the gifts of the Spirit will stop because we won't need them anymore because then we will understand fully. Now we understand as a child, but then we will understand as adults because everything will be laid out before us. So tongues didn't cease when the Bible was canonized. Honestly, it doesn't make sense because the Bible is full of teachings on the gifts of the Spirit and speaking in tongues and why all these things are important. So why would God canonize all of that right at the moment he was taking it all away? That which is perfect is Jesus. When Jesus comes, then we will reach full maturity as a people and as a church. And then we will no longer need the gifts of the Spirit. But until that time, we are not fully mature as a people. We are not fully mature as a church, and we still desperately need the gifts of the Spirit. Other churches can take that teaching even further, and, and will try to say that the whole point of the love chapter of 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is that, is that Paul was trying to show us that if we have the love of Christ, we don't need the gifts of the Spirit. But that doesn't make any sense because you go to the very next verse, which is 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 1, which remember, Paul didn't turn these into chapters. People did later. As far as Paul's concerned, this was one continuous thought. So what does he say? Pursue love, yet desire earnestly spiritual gifts. For Paul, there was no separation between the love of Christ and the gifts of the Spirit in our lives. He says, desire both of them. And so that's what we want to do. We want to desire both, right? So I can understand that maybe you've come from a background where this has been ignored or this has been taught differently uh, or this has not been uh, addressed. And so we want to teach it and we want to teach it well. And then honestly, we want to practice it because there are benefits to it. And that's what we want to get into. So let's, let's stay in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. This is the the most uh, drawn out, the most clear teaching on tongues in the Bible. And there's a reason for that. And it's because the church at Corinth was abusing the gift of tongues. They were using it improperly, they were using it out of order, and so Paul wanted to give some instruction, some understanding, and some order to it, and so basically chapters 12, 13, and 14 all kind of flow together. Chapter 12, he talks about all the gifts of the Spirit. Chapter 13, he talks about if we're going to use gifts of the Spirit, we have to use them with love, otherwise we're just a clanging symbol. and then chapter 14, he gets very specific about, let's talk about tongues in general, since that's what you guys seem to be really fascinated with, right? So you guys follow me? This is this is why Paul is teaching this. So again, verse 1, pursue love, yet desire earnestly spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy, right? So Paul is pointing out that even the gift of prophecy is, uh, as far as he is concerned, the most beneficial of all the gifts of the Spirit. For one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands, but in his spirit he speaks mysteries. So when we are speaking in tongues, we are speaking directly to God in a way that people don't understand. But one who prophesies speaks to men. You guys see in the distinction? Speaking in tongues, I'm speaking to God. When I'm prophesying, I'm speaking to men for edification and exhortation and consolation. One who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but one who prophesies edifies the church. So when I'm speaking in tongues, I am building myself up. Now I wish that you all spoke in tongues. Right? This is Paul's desire Right, He declares this over the church. I want you all to speak in tongues. And that's my desire today. I want all of us to understand this idea of praying in tongues and why it benefits. But even more that you would prophesy. So again, Paul is pointing out prophecy is still the quintessential gift of the Holy Spirit. And greater is one who prophesies than one who speaks in tongues unless he interprets so that the church may receive edifying. But now, brethren, if I come to you speaking in tongues, what will I profit you unless I speak to you either by way of revelation or of knowledge or of prophecy or of teaching? Yet even lifeless things, either flute or harp, in producing a sound, if they do not produce a distinction in the tones, how will it be known what is played on the flute or the harp? For if the bugle produces an indistinct sound, who will prepare himself for battle? "'So also you, unless you utter by the tongue "'speech that is clear, "'how will it be known what is spoken? "'For you will be speaking into the air.'" There are perhaps a great many kinds of languages in the world, and no kind is without meaning. If then I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be the one who speaks a barbarian, and the one who speaks will be a barbarian to me, right? He says, listen, if we're speaking to each other in languages we don't understand, we're going to be like savages to each other. We're not going to understand each other. Uh, There's going to be no distinction in what we're speaking. He says, so also you, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, seek to abound for the edification of the church. Now, let's stop right there. It would appear that Paul is speaking negatively of speaking in tongues, which can be confusing because he just said, I wish that you would all speak in tongues. And then he goes through this passage where he seems to sound negative about speaking in tongues. What is he saying here? He's not being negative about speaking in tongues. What he is saying is there is a proper order and a proper place for it. I want you all to speak in tongues, but I want you to understand the proper order and the proper place. Because what was happening in Corinth is they were gathering as a church, and they just thought that speaking in tongues made them super spiritual, so they all just got together and babbled in unknown languages You know, maybe for hours, who knows, they talked over each other. It was chaotic. If somebody knew were to come into the church, they would have no idea what was going on. And Paul says, this isn't right. You guys are like bugles making no distinction in your sound. So he wanted to create this sense of order for it. So he says, since you're zealous for spiritual gifts, seek to abound for the edification of the church. What he's saying is, hey, that's great that you're zealous for the gifts of the Spirit. But we need to make sure that we're using them in such a way that we build each other up. That we're not just doing it to feed our own ego, to make ourselves feel spiritual, but that we're going to build each other up when we use the gifts of the Spirit. Therefore, he says in verse 13, Therefore, let one who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. I want you to notice here that there is this shift between this idea of speaking in tongues and this idea of praying in tongues. And we're going to get back to that in just a second. But he says, if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What is the outcome then? I will pray with the Spirit, and I will pray with the mind also. I will sing with the Spirit, and I will sing with the mind also. Otherwise, if you bless in the Spirit only, how will the one who fills the place of the ungifted say the amen at your giving of thanks, since he does not know what you are saying? For you are giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not edified. And then listen to what Paul says. I thank God I speak in tongues more than you all. So it's not the amount that they're speaking in tongues that Paul is correcting. It's the proper place and the proper order that he is correcting. However, in the church, I desire to speak five words with my mind so that I may instruct others also rather than a thousand words in a tongue. So what is Paul saying here? He's saying, I speak in tongues all the time, but not in the public church gathering. Are you guys hearing that? He's saying, listen, I speak in tongues more than all of you, but when I'm in a public church gathering, I'd rather speak five words in a known language than a thousand in an unknown. You guys kind of tracking with Paul's theme here? So let's talk about this. What are some thoughts on this idea of speaking in tongues or this concept of praying in tongues? So the first thing I want to share with you is that there are three expressions of tongues in the Bible. There is a sign, there is a gift, and there is a prayer language. There is a sign, there is a gift, and there is a prayer language. Well, what do I mean? Well, we read over and over again in the book of Acts that speaking in tongues was a sign that somebody was baptized in the Holy Spirit. And this sign generally happened right at the moment that you were baptized in the Holy Spirit. It's a sign. It's a distinction that God has now filled you. Later on in 1 Corinthians 14, we don't have time to read all of it, but he actually says that it's a sign to unbelievers, but not in a good way. It's a sign of distinction between the believer and the unbeliever. And it's actually a sign that for the unbeliever, they're still facing judgments. Right? So speaking in tongues is a sign that you have received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's also a gift, It is one of the gifts of the Spirit, and this is where uh, it is a public ministry. But Paul, and and you can continue to read 1 Corinthians 14, as Paul lays out very specific order and distinction for the public ministry. He says, if we're going to speak in tongues publicly as a church, it should only be two or three people, and you should go one at a time and that somebody should have the gift of interpretation so that they can interpret the unknown language so that it will actually build up the church, which then makes it on par with prophecy, right? Are you guys with me? That is the gift of the Holy Spirit. It'll come upon somebody during a public church gathering. They will stand up. They will speak in an unknown language, and either themselves or somebody else will have the gift to interpret it and will declare that prophetic word from the Lord. That's why he says, if you're going to speak in a tongue, pray that you may also interpret it. That is the gift. So the gift of speaking in tongues and the gift of interpreting tongues is a public ministry when the church is gathered. But there are very specific rules that order it. Then the third expression of tongues is the prayer language. And this is what I was mentioning earlier, that Paul began to talk about this idea of praying in the Spirit or praying in tongues. It is a prayer language. Whereas the gift of the Spirit is distributed as the Spirit wills, our prayer language is subject to our will. What does that mean? It means that it's available to us at all times. Now, what's the difference with the prayer language? Well, let's think about what did Paul just teach, that when we are speaking in tongues, we are speaking directly to God, and we are speaking the mysteries of God. But he says, we're not edifying other people, we're only edifying ourselves, So the sign happens at the moment of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It is a sign, a distinction. The gift is for public ministry at a time when the Holy Spirit wills. The prayer language then is for private ministry. It's for when we're alone or when we're in a gathering of just believers where we all understand the idea of praying in the Holy Spirit. It is a private ministry, but we can do it at any time. All right, are you guys with me so far? So the next thought then is this. There are heavenly angelic languages. What that means is is that when we are speaking in tongues or we are praying in tongues, we could be speaking or praying in a language that just sounds like babbling here on earth. But in the heavenlies is a language that is understood by the angels or a language that is understood by God. And you say, well, are you just making that up, Pastor? No. 1 Corinthians 13.1, Paul says, if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels. Paul is declaring there is a distinction between tongues of men and tongues of angels. Languages of men and languages of angels. But I don't want you to just take my word for it. Let's look at some people who are way smarter than me. All right, let's start with David Gudzik, who is a, a theologian. He wrote this, In Paul's day, many Jews believed angels had their own language, which is why Paul didn't feel the need to explain this sentence any further because it was already a generally accepted truth that angels had their own language. And by the Spirit, one could speak it. The reference to tongues of angels shows that though the genuine gift of tongues is a legitimate language, it may not be a living human language, or may not be a human language at all. Apparently, there are angelic languages men can speak by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Let's go to the theologian J.P. Lang. He said this, If we adopt the rendering languages, then we shall have to insist on the idea that there were various classes of angels and then assume either various modes of spiritual communication among them or a diversity in the forms of expressions used. According to their various orders and ranks, without involving, however, any such rapture or disharmony as appears in human languages and dialects, right? So J.P. Lang takes it even further. He says the the declaration that there are a plural number of languages of angels means that there's got to be some sort of order and distinction amongst the angels and a variety of ways that they communicate with each other, that they've got a variety of languages, And then finally, let's look at Johannes Ewald. He was a a Danish writer, poet, and artist in the 1700s. And so he wrote this very artistically. He said, with tongues far more wonderful and enchanting than those implored on earth, be the ordinary speakers with tongues who could not, like the angels, adopt a purely heavenly strain. There are heavenly angelic languages. That may sound like gibberish on earth, but are a communication between our spirit and the spirit of God. And from reading Paul, we can summarize that Paul said that we can speak, pray, sing, bless, and give thanks in our heavenly language. Think about that, right? He said, I will speak in tongues. I will pray in tongues. I will sing in tongues. I will bless in tongues. And I will give thanks in tongues. That was all in that passage we just read together. Paul said, I can do it all in my heavenly language. In Ephesians 6.18, right after writing the full armor of God, a very famous passage, Paul goes on to say this. With all prayer and petition... Pray at all times in the Spirit. That word pray in the Greek form is a command. He doesn't suggest that we should pray in the Spirit. He commands it. So in our notes it says we are commanded to pray in the Spirit. And he says I want you to pray at all times in the Spirit. What does that mean? That means we can do it any time. If he told us to do it all the time, that means that we're able to do it all the time. And remember what we learned last week, if I may do it, I must do it. We are commanded. So any believer filled with the Spirit of God can do it at any time. It is subject to our will. Which the flip side of that also means that nobody ever has to speak in tongues. Right Paul says later on in 1 Corinthians 14 he says the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. What that means is is even if you have a prophetic word you can decide when to give it. You don't just have to blurt it out to break God's order. You can decide when to give it. And if you feel like you have a message in tongues come upon you, you can decide the appropriate time to give it. Right? So it is subject to your will. So any believer can pray in the spirit at any time. And nobody ever has to speak in tongues at any time. We can control it. And then finally, this is a big one. We are to balance our earthly language and our heavenly language in our prayer life. Right? What did Paul just say in our passage? He said, what is the outcome then? I will pray in the Spirit and I will pray with my mind. I will sing in the Spirit. And I will sing with my mind. What is he saying? He's saying there's going to be balance in my prayer life. I'm going to spend some of the time praying in an unknown heavenly language that my mind doesn't understand. And I'm going to spend some of the time praying in my earthly language that my mind does understand. Which for us would be English or maybe you're uh, bilingual and you have other languages you understand, right? I will pray in the spirit and I will pray with understanding. There is a balance, so if if your entire prayer life is just praying in English you are missing out on a huge part of your prayer life that God has made available to you. In fact, you could go so far as to say you're being disobedient with your prayer life because you have been commanded to pray in the spirit. And Paul says, "I will pray in the spirit and I will pray in understanding." Are you guys tracking with me? Now, he doesn't say what that balance is. Is it 50-50? Is it 60-40? Is it 75-25? I don't know. But what I do know is that Paul prayed in tongues a lot because he was confident to say, I speak in tongues more than all of you. You guys with me? All right, so I want to lay a solid foundation here that we're not just weirdos babbling in unintelligible phrases, but that we are a spirit-filled people of God that are practicing the truth of Scripture. Amen, Pastor. All right. Hallelujah. So why? Why is praying in the Spirit, why is praying in a heavenly language, why is it such a gift to us? What is the fruit of praying in the Spirit? The first is that it develops intimacy with God. It develops intimacy with God. Um, I don't use the message very often from the pulpit because it's not a true translation of Scripture. It's a paraphrase of Scripture. But I'm going to break my rule for this one because I love the phrasing here in the message translation. We already read 1 Corinthians 14 too, but let's read it in the message translation. It says, if you praise him in the private language of tongues, God understands you, but no one else does, for you are sharing intimacies just between you and him. When you're praying in the spirit, you're having a conversation with God that nobody else is privy to, right? On Earth, obviously, our, our greatest understanding of intimacy is within marriage, and, and there, you know, there's something about the marriage bed that that you have conversations with your spouse in the marriage bed that nobody else are privy to. And if you're like me, sometimes you fall asleep right in the middle of those conversations in the marriage bed, and then you got to wake up the next morning and explain to your wife why you fell asleep during such an important conversation. Hallelujah! All right, I'm just just being authentic before the church. All right. There are intimacies that you share with God that nobody else is privy to when you pray in the Holy Spirit. John Bevere tries to explain it like this. He says, you know, if you were to go sit down with the President of the United States, he could only communicate with you in a certain way. Why? Because he has such a greater understanding than any of us do. I know some of us like to think we could do a better job than him, but if we were to be honest, all right, he sits through so many meetings. He's had so much background. He has access to so much confidential information. He has, he, he has such a greater understanding of the scope of running our country than we do. So if we were to sit down with the President of the United States, he would have to dumb down his conversation with us to talk with us, right? Well... Think about us talking with God. And God's understanding of the universe is so vast compared to our finite little understanding. And so God has to speak on our level. But when we pray in the Spirit, God doesn't have to hold back. He can fill us with so much. Because when we pray in the Spirit, we're praying in God's understanding, not ours. It develops intimacy with God. It also leads to deeper worship, right? Singing in the Spirit. Have you ever sung a song to God in your angelic language? Come on. I will pray in the Spirit, and I will pray in understanding. I will sing in the Spirit, and I will sing in understanding. It leads to deeper worship. The second thing, it draws out the deep things of God, it draws out the deep things of God. Now, we know from John seven thirty seven, right on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as Scripture has said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. And then it goes on to explain that Jesus is referring to the Holy Spirit. So we know that when we are full of the Holy Spirit, we have rivers of living water just flowing through us, just a steady flow of water, right? Now, if we go back to Proverbs 20 and verse 5, it says, A plan in the heart of a man is like deep water, but a man of understanding draws it out. So I want us to put these two together. Right? From John chapter 7, we understand that there is deep water flowing through us. It is the Holy Spirit. And then from Proverbs chapter 20, we understand that a man of understanding will draw from that deep water. How do we draw from that deep water of the Holy Spirit? When we pray in the Spirit. So here's the amazing thing. When we pray in the Spirit, when we take time every day to pray in our angelic language, we are drawing things out of the deep. We are understanding deep things of God that we didn't understand before. If you've ever had a scripture that you've read and you don't understand it, pray in the Holy Spirit, and that understanding will be drawn out. If you've ever had a difficult thing about God that you just can't understand, pray in the Holy Spirit, and that deep thing will be drawn out. Right, but Proverbs 20 says a plan in the heart of man. Other translations say counsel in the heart of man. Other translations say purpose in the heart of man. Right, so the counsel of God is drawn out from the deep water within us when we pray in the Holy Spirit. The purposes of God for our lives are drawn out from the deep water when we pray in the Holy Spirit. So if you've ever had some serious decisions to make about God's plan for your life, what is my purpose? What is my ministry? What is my calling? Pray in the Holy Spirit and you will draw it out from the deep. How about praying God's perfect will Romans 8, 26, in the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. That sounds an awful lot like an angelic language, right? Groanings too deep for words. Do you know in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul talks about being carried away to paradise. He had a vision of the third heaven. And what did he have to say about it? He didn't describe any of it. He said, All I heard were things too inexpressible to repeat, angelic languages. That were inexpressible in any human language, groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. When you are praying in the Holy Spirit in groanings too deep for words, you are praying God's perfect will. Because you are having uninterrupted connection with the Spirit of God. And what do we know about the Spirit of God? He knows the mind of God. He knows the heart of God. And so when we are praying in the Spirit, we are praying God's perfect will. And here's the thing. You could be praying for a church on the other side of the planet. You don't know what you're praying for, but God knows exactly who needs your prayers right now. You could be praying for people you've never met. Or you could be praying for your best friend. And you're like, I feel a burden. i got to pray for my best friend, but I don't know how to pray. So I start praying in the Spirit. And I'm praying God's perfect will for my best friend. Are you guys with me? Here's another thought. When we're praying, we are in spiritual warfare, right? Well, think about in World War II when the United States was at war. They went out and recruited Native American Indians. To join the war effort. Why? Because the languages of the native nations were a code that could not be broken. The most famous were the Navajo Windtalkers in World War II, but there were actually 14 different Native nations and their languages that were used as code during the war. So you would have uh, one uh, Native American on the battlefield and one Native American back in the communication center, and they were communicating to each other in their native language, and the enemy could never break the code. Because most wartime codes were based on a cipher. And if you could crack the cipher, you could crack the code. But nobody could crack the code of the native languages because it wasn't a cipher. It was a language they had never heard before. So think about this. When we are doing spiritual warfare and we are speaking in languages of the Holy Spirit, we are speaking in an unbreakable code because the enemy doesn't know what we're praying for. Who come on. Come on. Number four, guidance and peace. Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 14. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. Right, so first off, when we are full of the Spirit, there is a cry that comes from us. But it says the Spirit testifies with our spirit. What does that mean? That means that when we need to know what step to take, what direction to go, what decision to make, the best indicator of the God's decision for your life is when you have peace in your spirit. Because when your spirit is in alignment with the testimony of God's spirit, there is peace. So how do we get in alignment with the spirit? Pray in the spirit. If you've got a big decision to make in your life, if you've got two things before you and you don't know which path to take, pray in the spirit and keep praying in the spirit until you have peace in your spirit. And when you have peace in your spirit, you'll know which path to take. I love in Colossians 3.15, I want to read it in the amplified version because it really just expands it. Let the peace of Christ, the inner calm of one who walks daily with him, be the controlling factor in your hearts. I want you to hear that. The controlling factor in your hearts should be the peace of Christ. In parentheses, deciding and settling questions that arise, right? I've got peace that settles it. I've prayed in the Spirit until I have a peace in my spirit, and now it is settled. I know the decision I am supposed to make. To this peace, indeed, you were called as members in one body of believers, and be thankful to God always. Come on, we will have peace and guidance. And then finally, Let's have the worship team come back up. The increased capacity of our faith. In Jude chapter 1, and verse 20, it says, But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. So when we pray in the Holy Spirit, we are building ourselves up in our most holy faith. The Greek language that was used there was construction language. It was talking about building a building. So when we think about building ourselves up, What we're doing is we are expanding the capacity of our faith, right? Because we're adding on a room. We're adding a second level. We're expanding the garage. We're knocking out the back wall and making the master bedroom bigger. We are expanding our faith. Right in, in Northern California, in San Jose, there is the Winchester house. You may have heard of this, but it was owned by the Winchester family who made their fortune on guns, right? And, and the old lady uh, who was the matriarch of the family, she lost her mind. And in her insanity, she just continued building on her house. And you can go there now and take a tour of the Winchester Mansion, which has doors that lead to nowhere, stairways that lead to nowhere, tons and tons of rooms that had no purpose because this woman in her insanity just kept expanding and building. Well, praise be to God that we don't have to be insane, except maybe crazy for Jesus, that we can just keep building on the house of our faith. We can keep adding rooms and we can add... Add new floors, and we can add new structures because every time we pray in the Spirit, we're building up the building of our faith. And we are creating more room. And listen, everything we have from God, we receive by faith. So when we are building up our faith, come on, we are getting more anointing, more authority, more power, more love, more compassion, more grace. We are increasing the capacity of our faith. So will you stand together with me today? I've gone on way too long, but come on, this is such good stuff, and there is such depth of teaching that we need to receive from the Word of God. So here's my closing thoughts. Is that if we're going to avoid praying in tongues because it's too natural or too strange or too unnatural... It's just a little too outside what I'm comfortable with, so I'm not going to do it. If we avoid it, what we are doing is we are missing out on one of the greater gifts that God has given us. And this gift draws us closer to Him in intimacy. God uses this gift to reveal more of Himself to us. He uses this gift to develop our prayer life. He's given us an unbreakable code by which we can wage warfare in the Spirit. He's going to use it to guide us. He's going to use it to empower us. He's going to use it to build up our faith. He's going to use it to build His church. And it's a gift. It's a gift that comes with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But it's a gift that must be released through our yielding. Again, that we must yield our tongue. We can do it anytime we want. Like a muscle, it's got to be exercised so that we can strengthen it. Like a new skill, it's got to be practiced so that we can get more fluence in it. But it's available. Now you say, well, we don't really hear it a lot at church. Well, what did we just read? We're not supposed to do it a lot at church. We're supposed to do it in our private prayer life, in our personal time. Sometimes you might hear somebody doing it at church. If we're at a smaller prayer gathering, we're much more likely to do it. But it's a gift come on just yield yourself to the holy spirit just yield yourself to the spirit the gift is there you don't have to be afraid of it it's based on truth it comes from the lord and there is so much fruit from it I'm going to pray for you, and then we're going to sing, and we're going to do the same thing we did last week. If you're ready, if you're hungry, if you're desiring, if you have the faith to believe, you just come forward and begin to posture yourself in such a way that you could receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that the gift of praying in tongues could be unlocked in your life. Oh, Lord Jesus, I pray that as your words went forth today, that they would do all that they were intended to do accomplish your purpose in them oh Lord Jesus bring understanding to our hearts Lord where there has been uh, uncertainty, fear, confusion doubts. oh Lord where there has been the stubbornness of our will Jesus, Jesus would you just let truth bring revelation to our hearts that we would be open to receive all that you have Lord that if I may receive it I must receive it that if I may use it I must use it Oh, Lord, the the heart cry of my heart is the same as Paul. I want everyone in Kauai Bible Church to pray in tongues. I want everyone in Kauai Bible Church to see this beautiful gift unlocked in their lives, that their faith might grow, that their intimacy might go deeper, that their peace might be greater. Jesus, Jesus. Oh, so, Father, we just continue to pray and seek and fast, and ask, and cry out, and hunger, and be desperate, Lord. Oh, that your spirit would flow freely in this place, and that we could yield ourselves to such a precious gift of heaven. We thank you for this, Lord. Holy Spirit, would you draw us by your truth, by your loving presence, would you draw us to that place of baptism, to that place of fullness, to that place of the gift. We thank you for this, Lord, and we give you all the praise in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.